is the ultimate gift you want for Christmas? It's 10 seconds. 10, 9, 8. What is the ultimate gift you want for Christmas? Right? 7, 5, 4, 3. You thought about it? What the ultimate gift? Okay, now I want you to share your ultimate gift to your seatmate. And I see Dennis, no, he's doing this to his wife. All right, good job, bro. Good job. All right. You shared it? Great. Are you, those, those who don't have any seatmates, okay, you can share it in the, to the person in front of you. That's fine. All right. So what is the ultimate gift you, uh, you want for Christmas? You don't have to be so Christianese. Right. So, okay, so I, I plan to come wearing a mask. Um, so I plan to come wearing a mask today because while preparing for the preaching last night, thank you, G. Um, I chipped my front tooth <laughs> eating those crispy stuff. Okay, so for me, this Christmas, all I want is actually my two front teeth <laughs> whole again. So that when I, um, when I start eating the crunchy stuff, uh, the cracklings, right, on, on December 25, I can enjoy it with my two front teeth. Now, but in the same breath, I realize that over the years, and I want you to listen to this, Christmas has drifted away um, from the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, and it has become more commercialized. It has become about consumerism and it becomes something that is influenced by our secular life. Don't you agree with that? That throughout the years, Christmas has become commercialized, right? It has become a time of consumerism and it's a celebration with high secular influence. And why do I say that? Christmas has become a time for parties. And it's okay to party. I'm not saying there's something wrong, anything wrong with that. It's okay to party as long as the reason for your party is the birth of Jesus Christ. But sadly though, throughout the years, that is no longer happening. We have increasingly been dominating the season with materialism. Right? What we want for Christmas. What we want to give for Christmas. So much so that if you're like me, we started buying gifts as soon as February comes because that's when the winter sale is. We start preparing for Christmas way back earlier because we think that Christmas is now about the gift-giving about the festivities which often overshadows the spiritual significance 
of the birth of Jesus Christ. And that's the reason why I love this series. Because throughout the years, the Christmas, Christmas celebrations have been diluted. I love this series because it points us back to the real gift of Christmas. The real gift of Christmas, which is Jesus Christ. Jean summarized Christmas in two words. And what is that? God gave. Right? I'll summarize Christmas in four words. God gave Jesus Christ. And let's make that six. God gave Jesus Christ as a present. For who? For all of us. And that, ladies, my friends, is the greatest gift ever given to mankind. And yet, we dilute that. And that's the reason why unwrapping the present is such a timely series for all of us. Because not only did you receive the gift of Jesus Christ, you are now given an opportunity to give the gift of Jesus Christ. You excited? So as we prepare for Christmas, I want to invite every one of us, including me, to unwrap this gift. Jesus Christ, in whom we have light, life, and hope for all time. Right? Turn your Bibles with me, or of course, you may swipe your Bibles. And again, okay, <laughs> this is a test. <laughs> Those who doesn't, don't have their Bibles... You have 20 seconds to download it on your mobile phones. Right? I'm joking. We're really having a technical issue right now. Right? Do you have your Bibles? Alright, who doesn't have? It's okay, raise your hand. I, I didn't get my Bible till I was 18. Alright, all of you have your Bibles. Alright, turn your Bibles or swipe your Bibles to the book of John. We'll be reading from chapter 1. Verse 1 up to verse 18. All right? You there? Let's all rise in reverence of the Word of God. All right? So I want you to read it with me with conviction. All right? Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things made through Him and with Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He, became, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, 
nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is, the fa- who is at the Father's side. He was made him, He has made him known. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us, Lord, that you were there even before creation. And Father, thank you for reminding us, Lord God, that we can place our hope for in you forever. Lord, I pray right now, Lord God, that if there is any distractions, Lord, let it leave this room right now. Father, we ask, Lord God, for your grace and for your strength, Lord, so that we can focus on your word and on your message this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right? So, who knows John? I had a picture here, but since it's not working, use your imagination, okay? Alright, so the Gospel of John was probably the last Gospel written, okay? The last Gospel written. And maybe that is the reason why John took a more creative route in writing the book, right? Because there's a different account, right? Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have a different account. But John started his book poetically, right? It was like a poem, right? Now, before, when the text was poetic, I would just breeze through it. Actually, it's a blessing that I breeze through it because if it's poetic, I'd usually jump over it, right? And, and just yeah, not, 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 ano, not mind it altogether. But then, right, someone told me, that the reason why there are poems in the Bible is because it is an invitation for us to slow down and contemplate and think about it, right? Who has experienced falling in love, right? Remember when your boyfriend or when your girlfriend wrote you a poem? Or wrote you a love letter. Oh, I see someone smiling. Yeah? So what would you do? What do you do when you read the love letter from your crush? Or from someone in love with you? Right? You would actually slow down, right? And word by word, right? Even if it's a wrong grammar, you just correct the grammar anyways and say, and you'd slow down and read it. So when the Bible, in the book, when you're reading the Bible, when it's a poem, it's an invitation for us to slow down and think about it more. Now here, John is writing again, the audience of John is the Jews and the Gentiles. Right? It's both the Jews and the Gen- Gentiles. And the book of John, and take note of this, the book of John no, take note of this because this is the same lens we will use. Oh, last 10 minutes already. 
<laughs> okay. The book of John is written for a specific purpose. And I want you to take note of this because it is through this purpose that we will try to understand the text that we are going to dissect today. And what's that purpose? In John 20.31, John said that these, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Alright, so take note of that. The Son of God. Right? So that, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. So again, I want you to take note of that because as we go through the Word today, we will be dissecting it using that lens. John has written this book so that all of us may believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God and Jesus is God and so that by believing, we will have life in His name. Who wants to have life? Wow, <laughs> you know what? Amen. <laughs> Say, Amen! <laughs> right? We all want to have life. And the text we just read is not just an introduction to the book of John. Okay, it's not just an introduction. It is actually the summary of the book of John. Right? So tomorrow, you can go to your life group leader and say, I have read the entire book of John. What did you read? John 1, 1 to 18. Okay, that's the summary of the entire book. And the rest of the book would actually speak more into the different themes that were introduced in that 18 verses. And what's those 18 verses? I mean, just open your Bibles there so that you'll see it. Right? Those 18 verses are the identity of the Word. It talks about life, light, regeneration. It talks about grace. It talks about truth. And it talks about the revelation of God who is in Jesus Christ. Why? Why does that 18 verse talk about the revelation of God in Jesus Christ? Because up till now, no one has seen God except Jesus Christ. And that we can see God through Jesus Christ. Even Moses did not see the whole picture of God. Only Jesus Christ saw the fullness of God. And if we want to see God, who wants to see God? Alive, of course, okay? We want to see God alive, okay? Let's not leave this planet yet, okay? We want to see God alive. So if we want to see God alive, we see God through Jesus Christ, right? So now who is this Jesus? Well, who is this Jesus? But another question that we should ask ourselves is this. Why should we put our faith in Him? If, if, if I'm going to ditch Christmas celebration, if I'm going to ditch Christmas gifts, Christmas carols, if I'm going to ditch all of those Christmas stuff, is Jesus worth my ditch? Me leaving all of this fun. So who is this Jesus Christ, okay? Where's your Bibles? I'm sorry, I keep saying where's your Bibles because we don't have a screen, right? But let's, let's open to verse 1. Let's just open or, or, or swipe towards verse 1. Right? It says here, In the beginning 
was the Word, and the Word was God. Uh, in the beginning was with... Or let, me, let me start over. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, I don't have a... For the sake of time, let's not dive into other stuff. But I want to focus on the Word. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Now, what was John saying? John is saying that before the beginning began... You get that? Before the beginning began, the world, the word is already there. Say that with me. Before the beginning began. Peter Piper, pick a pack of pickle. I'm just checking if you're awake. So before the beginning began, the word was already there. The word existed even before everything was created. In fact, it existed before time itself. Imagine this. The, the word was there before the beginning began. Imagine nothingness. Close your eyes, just imagine nothingness. Guess what? In that nothingness, the word was already there. It's hard to wrap your mind around it because it's something that is out of this world. Because this world was a creation or is just a creation. And the Word was already there before the beginning began. John makes it clear that the Word is not the beginning. Okay? Take note of that. The Word is not the beginning, but it is the start of the beginning. Can you wrap your minds around it? The Word already existed before the beginning, which tells us that the Word is eternal. Can you imagine what eternal is? Because if you can, you're a genius. No one can perfectly imagine eternal. Right? Eternal might be like, you know, your husband goes to Dubai to study, and then for one week, for five days, you're alone. It feels like eternal. Right? You miss the person. Right? But that's not eternal. Eternal is not you're waiting there for two hours, and, you, and when your date comes, you're so late, it feels like eternity. That's not eternal. It's hard to wrap our mind in that word eternal because eternal is eternal. There's no way to define it in human terms. Maybe the closest way to define it is when you go to a buffet. And every single one of those 300 dishes is your favorite and you want to eat it all. Okay? But then again, that's just 300 dishes. That's not eternal. Eternal is something greater. Now, the word, um, the word that is spoken here is translated, right? It says here, in the beginning was the word, right? The word here is translated from the Greek word 
Logos. Okay? Logos. Now, I want you to take note of this. It's difficult to define logos because although John wrote the word logos in Greek, his context is still Aramaic. Right? Remember, John is not Greek. He's Hebrew. So when he wrote about logos, yes, he wrote logos there, but in his mind, logos is not just the word, it's more than that. There is a Jewish context that is applied on that word logos. And why is that important? It's important to understand because if we think logos as just the thought or the explanation, we're missing the whole point. Logos in the... For the Jew, especially the Jewish rabbis, they offer, often referred to God in his personal aspects, take note, personal aspects in terms of his word. So now you, you, now you see that logos is the thought, but then for the rabbis, it is the personal aspect of God. Right? So they spoke of God, the Jewish rabbis, they spoke of God, they spoke of Logos as the word of God. Okay, now here's what's so mind-blowing. How did creation come to exist? How did creation come to exist? Did God take something or take something out of nothing and then clap his hands and then to this? No, right? Creation came into existence through the word of God. Spoken. And I say this in preparation of, of this mind-blowing thing that wrote John wrote. Okay? Because to the Greek, the Logos is the power that puts sense into the world, making it orderly. That's to the Greek. Therefore, John 1.1 was actually a revolutionary statement made by John. Because for centuries, the Jews and the Greek were only thinking, discussing, and talking about and writing about the Word. But here, John identifies who the Word is. And the Word was God. When John said that the Word was God, he meant that once what was once seen as a force. I remember when, when uh, River was growing up, you're like, force. And Jean would just fall down, you know? <laughs> right? When John said that the Word, he meant that what was seen as a force or something distant can now be seen in Jesus Christ. Can now be seen in Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus, what do we see? We see the love of God. In Jesus, we see the holiness of God. In Jesus, we see the wisdom, the glory, the power, the justice, the goodness, the truth of the Father. God is made known through Jesus Christ. And because Jesus is God, 
Therefore, he is also part of the Trinity, which is can be seen there, but we'll not talk about that. Now, your Bibles. So, Jesus is God, right? Now, in your Bibles, verse 3, this is a proof that He is God. All things, say all things. And what is, what is all things? <coughs> everything you feel, everything you hear, that is all things. Everything about you, that is all things. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If Jesus... Did you think, of, think about this? If Jesus created all things, that means all, right? If Jesus, God created all things, right? Do you agree with me when I say that we can therefore conclude? All right? All right? Do you still use that in school? When you have uh, experiments, therefore I conclude, right? Because Jesus created all things, we can therefore conclude that the Word, Jesus Christ, is not a creating, created being. Do you agree with that? In Him, all things were created. All. Every single thing was created. That means, if we say that Jesus is also created, we're going against that notion that in Him, everything was created. Therefore, we can conclude that Jesus is uncreated. That Jesus is there before time ever existed. Take note of that. Because sooner or later, you will come, come across someone who would say that Jesus is only a human being. That Jesus is part of creation. Well, the verse clearly says that in him all things were created. That means Jesus is not created. Because how can he create all things when he himself is created? You get that? Right? Take note of that. Now, not only in him everything is created, the verse also tells us that in him was life or is life. The Word, or Jesus Christ, is the source of life. So it's not just a, uh, what's that science subject? Uh, biological, or biology, or in biology, it's not just the sense of a biological sense of life. It's not that. When we say Jesus is the source of life, the life that I was, I'm talking about is the Zoe kind of life. The Zoe kind of life is a life that is full and with meaning. 
The life, it says here, the light also, it says here also that the light shines in the darkness. So again, Jesus Christ created everything. In Him was life. He gave life to the creation. But wait, there's more. In Him also is the light that shines where? In the darkness. Now, right, this is where it gets complicated. The, the darkness that is spoken about here comes from the Greek word skotia. Right? Skotia. Say it. Okay? What is skotia? Okay? Skotia is not just a physical kind of darkness. Right? Skotia is a moral, spiritual obscurity that is blocking the light. Right? Blocking the light because of a lack of faith. Say that with me. Scotia is blocking the light because of a lack of faith. Let's illustrate that. The room is bright. Correct? Is the room bright? Alright? Now do this. With your hands, just cover your eyes. Okay, that's Scotia. Scotia is a deliberate act of being, of remaining in the darkness. It's, it's, it's because of our lack of faith. Now, let's go back. Why was this book written? Why was the book of John written? Because, right? So that we may believe and have faith. Right? So John is actively following the theme. Now this darkness is a self-willed choice. This darkness, Scotia, is a self-willed choice. Do this again. See, that's, that's your self-willed choice. I did not force you to do this, but you did it on your own. Scotia is a self-willed choice. That means that it is what people without Christ prefer. Scotia is what people, or that darkness is what people without Christ prefer. These people that John was talking about, is not forced into the darkness, but loves to be in the darkness because of their lack of faith. But wait, okay? It's not only being in the darkness, it also conveys a twisted sense of light. You think it's light, but it's not light, right? It conveys a twisted sense of life that people live happily, that people find their purpose and meaning when they reject the voice of God. Did you get that? Sometimes we think that fun, joy, laughter can be found in places where God is absent. Example, right? 
we're, we're happy when, 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 when we are in the club. But when we're at church, we go like, ah. nursing a hangover. That's a twisted sense of life because we think that life, that the fun can be found in places where there is thugs, 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 thugs. We think that we are happiest when we're with friends. We think we're, 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 we're the happiest when we're at work. We think we're, we're happiest when, when, when we're on a trip. But when we read the Bible, we go, Lord, good morning, I need my coffee. That's a twisted sense of light. Scotia. And therefore, what the Bible says is true when it says that darkness has not overcome it. What verse is that? What verse is that? Why is that true? Because the word darkness here means that darkness has no, the word overcome rather means that the that darkness has not understood it. You get that? The light came into the world because it's dark. Because people to choose in dark, to choose to live in darkness. And darkness cannot comprehend it or understand it because of the twisted sense of light. Because to them, life can be found in happy places, not in God's presence. And then we start to wonder. Why is it difficult for us to come to church? And then we start to wonder, why is it difficult for us to read our Bibles? And this is not a guilt trip. I'm just saying that if you want light and if you want true life, you go back to your Bibles. <coughs> but, you know, despite our... And, and the sad thing is this. This came to my mind. <laughs> the sad thing is this. When people choose to stay in the darkness, it's because that is their nature. No one is forcing anyone to sin. But because of our sinful nature, we decide that darkness is the right place for us. And that is the twisted light. Clear? So when you have a friend that's, that is a sinner, you know, don't look down on that friend. Don't say, oh, you're not using your head. You're, using your, you're, you're, not, you know, you're not using your head. You're, 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 you know, it, it, don't say that. Because to them, what they're doing is right. What we should say is that, guess what? You know what? Would you like, I'd like to invite you, come and experience the real light. Because again, people's nature or the human nature is to love darkness, right? Darkness here is a place 
So, to define darkness, darkness is a place where Christ is absent. So, that means that when Christ is absent, the state of that person is dead and in the dark. Okay? So, he does not have control over it. It's his nature to be sinful. If we have the light in us, let's not look down on them. Let's see them like how Jesus saw them as shepherd. A sheep without the shepherd. Let's have compassion. Because that is the nature of God. Did you notice the next verse? It talked about God and who God is, and it talked about who the light is and what the light is. It talks about that, but then it shifts. It shifts towards a witness. Did you notice that? Out of the blue, there's a witness, right? Because God did not stop pursuing us. Despite Him coming into the world and us in the world rejecting Him and pushing Him away, God did not stop pursuing us. In fact, He sent a witness. Verse 6, There was a man sent from God whose name was... Not David. Okay, I'm just checking if you're awake. Okay, John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the... Light that all might believe through him, he who was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Is John perfect? No. He said that he was not the light. And yet he became a witness. He came to bear witness about the light. What am I trying to say here? I'm trying to say here is that if you want to witness for God, if you want to become a witness for God, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to. All you have to do is to be honest with yourselves and share what you have seen Christ do in your lives. Now, being a witness, now, okay, before I say that, who wants to be a witness for Christ? Right? To those who did not raise their hands, shame on you. <laughs> In a good way. <laughs> In a good way. Well, let's do that again. Who wants to be a witness for Christ? All right, to those who did not raise their hands again, let's talk later. <laughs> now, being a witness okay, to those who raised their hands, and even to those who did not raise their hands, right, being a witness is a serious thing. Being a witness is a serious thing because it helps unbelievers, those who are in the dark, establish truth and give it a reason to believe in Jesus Christ. Did you get that? Being a witness is not to be taken lightly because we are given a privilege to establish truth and invite unbelievers into the light. Look in front of you. There's a light. Come towards the light. <laughs> it's a, it's a, I think it's a Disney. Right? Now, the past few weeks, and I, th I was with Jean. It really changed me. 
Why? Because I was exposed to a number of witnesses. A number of witnesses who went to creative access, access nations were imprisoned. Right? They were imprisoned because of witnessing Jesus Christ to the locals and then they were kicked out of the country. Being a witness is a serious thing. But when you become a witness, I want you to understand this. When you become a witness, you are no, you are no longer neutral. Right? When you decide to be a witness, you can't have one foot in the light and one foot in the darkness. When you decide to be a witness, you are no longer neutral. Because to become a witness means that no matter what the cost is, you have committed yourself to proclaim who Jesus Christ is. That means you have to let go of the stug, 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 stug. Guess what? Whether you raise your hands or not, every one of us is called to be a witness. And you don't have to be perfect. A witness to who? Who should we witness to? Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Why? Because people are in Scotia. They choose to live in the darkness. They choose not because they want to, but because it was their nature. Verse 10, it says here, which is sad. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. That's the state of the world. The state of the world is in darkness. So when we witness, we share a testimony to the transformative power of encountering Jesus Christ. Again, he came into the world. The light came into the world. We help others have a deeper understanding of who God is. And like John the Baptist, we are given the privilege to pave the way for individuals to have a deep, meaningful, and personal relationship with the Logos. What's the result? Verse 12. If we witness, if we share the light, this will be the result. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become slaves of God. What? Fung. Slaves of God? Servants of God? What? He gave the right to become? Imagine this. The world, he came to the world, the world rejected him, pushed him away. But to those who accept him, he did not just make them employees of God. He did not just make them believers of God. He did not just make them slaves of God. He made them children of God. Who are you? Who among us are children here? When we are children, we can go to our parents and ask whatever we want for Christmas. 
we have a personal relationship. Okay, if you're hungry, if you're hungry, is it easy for you to, the, to go to your boss and say, hey boss, it's time to feed me. No, right? The boss will say, that's not part of your package. But if you're a child, you say you're hungry, you go to your father, and the father will, even before you go to your father or your mother, the father and mother already has food for you. To those who did receive him and believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, the sad truth is this. The Greeks thought God is too low. Again, the audience, the Greeks and the Jews. The Greeks thought God is too low. To them, God was like Zeus, okay, Hermes, and Louis Vuitton. <laughs> they thought of God as distant and aloof. Okay, how many of you can afford a Louis Vuitton and an Hermes? So it's like that, distant and aloof, right? <laughs> right? Their gods weren't the ultimate source of moral order. In fact, their gods actually participated in immorality. Zeus, you know, he had a lot of affairs. Now, this view of divine contributed to a more fragmented and less transcendent understanding of who God is for the Greeks. Now, for the Jews, God is too high. Remember, in the time of Moses, and, and then, then Moses invited them to go to the mountain, and they said, no, 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 that's not for us. Because they thought that God is too high high, right? The Jews had a very hard time accepting that God revealed, that the God revealed in the Old Testament can take human form. So when John said that, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen the glo His glory, glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, Verse 15, before John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. When John said this, it was countercultural and it was revolutionary. Because to the Greek, they cannot imagine God taking human form and dwelling with them. And to the Jew as well, the, John was saying the logos that you know that made and ordered the universe actually became flesh. And to the Jews, he was saying the word of God became flesh. And what was thought of something too low is actually greater than anything else the whole wide world can offer. And what was thought of something high has come down to where we are. 
See, God came to us in Jesus Christ. And we no longer have to work hard in finding Him. Christ, God, are you there? When we're sick, God, are you there? When we're tired, God, are you there? When we're broken, we can't, it's, it's no longer God, are you there? Why? Because God came to earth through Jesus Christ. We no longer have to work hard to find Him. We no longer have to strive and struggle to reach Him. When I was a Catholic, I would go, God, I'd serve because I want to reach you. God, I'll do this, I'll sacrifice this because I want to reach you. And some of us think that we have to go to a place to meet Him. Some of us think that we have to go to a specific place to experience Him. And some of us think that we can work so that we can have a ticket to heaven. Guess what? We're no longer asked to do that because God came to us. It says here, and dwelt among us. You see that? He tabernacled among us. He pitched a tent among us. That word came from the Greek skeno. Skeno. Which refers to dwelling in intimate communion with the resurrected Christ. Scotia, darkness, skenu. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but skenu refers to dwelling in an intimate communion with the resurrected Christ. Even as he himself lived an, a life that is pure, a life that is sinless, we can still have communion with him. Why? Why can we still have communion with Jesus Christ despite our broken nature? Verse 16, For from his fullness we have all received. Read, with, read it with me. Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. While no one has ever seen God, the only God, there's no other God, who, uh, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. If you go back to, to, to verse 1, it says, The Word was with God. And then you jump to verse 18, it says, Who is at the Father's side? He's not just with God, He is at the Father's side. And it is just so amazing that even as broken as we are, we can scanu with God because He is God who came to earth so that we can go to Him. What a privilege. And my prayer is this, that as we celebrate Christmas this year, may that thought be the center of our celebration. That the Word 
who was with God came and tabernacled with us so that we can go to God. And we can have an intimate communion with the resurrected Christ. What a beautiful way to celebrate Christmas. Let's all stand. And before we pray, before we pray, I just want you to think, what is the true meaning of Christmas? And let's just ponder on that thought. What is the true meaning of Christmas? Thought about it? My second question is this. How can we reclaim the significance of Christmas? And this is my takeaway. Three takeaways for this. Number one, this week I invite you to reflect on the true meaning of Christmas. Take time for a personal reflection. Ask God, God, how can I, what is the true meaning of Christmas? And number two, because the true meaning of, Je- of Christmas is Jesus Christ, I'd like to encourage everyone to share the gospel. Imagine celebrating Christmas by sharing the gospel. It's like us while in skenu with God, having an intimate communion with God. We bring others out of Scotia. We bring out others out of darkness. Lastly, so reflect on the meaning of true Christmas, share the gospel, and lastly, I want you to focus on worship. So when we witness, see, worship is not just singing songs. Worship is not just obeying things. That's not worship. Worship is changed life. So when we commit to witness before God, that means we can no longer be neutral. We cannot be have one foot in the darkness and one foot in the light. When I say worship, Let's ask God for the grace to take out, to take us fully out of the darkness into the light so that we can be like John. We can pave the way for the real light to come into the homes of our friends, our families, and into the lives of our loved ones. Is that okay? Is that okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to witness the true light through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we just come before you right now and ask, Lord, for forgiveness. Lord, sometimes, Lord, we have been neutral. 
Sometimes we have one foot in the darkness and one foot in the light. But right now, Lord, we just repent on that, Lord. Lord, give us the strength. Give us the grace, the desire, Father, to stand in the light. So that we can be broken vessels, Lord, where your light can shine through us. And even, Father, right now, Lord, we just ask, Lord, that you use us to spread your light in this dark place. Open opportunities for us, Lord, to proclaim the gospel and to focus in worshiping you. Not just in songs, not just in, Lord God, not just in actions, but in changed lives. Lord, let our lives be a declaration, a demonstration, a testimony of how you have transformed us, Lord, from darkness into light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Let's receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you so that you, all of us, can be broken vessels where His light can shine through. May God open opportunities for you to proclaim His good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.